Good morning. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to be here with you all today. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Dr. Stan Copeland, for letting me turn, turning me loose on your amazing congregation. It's such an incredible honor. I actually remember the first time I ever visited uh, Lovers Lane United Methodist Church. I had moved from Connecticut. I, I couldn't understand a word you guys were saying. Uh, moved from Connecticut. I was in the fourth grade, and a uh, we moved next door down here on Glenley Glenley Street, Glenley Drive. Uh, next door to a, a family, a Lovers Lane family, a Mrs. Uh, Jeanette Dilworth. And for some of you all who have been around Lovers Lane for a while, she was a lifelong pillar. Um, and she and her daughter Anne and I, they, Mrs. Dilworth would bring us up to Lovers Lane while she arranged flowers and got ready for the next day's service. And I remember meeting Dr. Tom Ship, this big man, okay, big man of Methodism, but very large man, and this large church. And I, I kept hearing about the different things that you all do. Um, I hear about your uh, everybody's Christmas, you're feeding the homeless, you're feeding the recently incarcerated, you're going to Kenya, you're going to Haiti, uh, you're helping homeless children through Rainbow Days. And I remember thinking when I was in the fourth grade, what can't this church do? And I continue 60 years later to just be absolutely amazed. So today we're going to talk about taking one more step. We're going to take a step uh, uh, into it, it, in transparency and with honesty to end the holy hush of domestic violence, end the holy hush of domestic violence. So regardless of your faith community, regardless of your discipline or your theology, um, whether you believe in egalitarian relationships or complementarian relationships, wherever you worship, I want you to know that women of faith are actually, the studies tell us, less likely to tell and least likely to get out of a violent situation. In fact, faith communities can become fertile ground for the continuation of abuse. So why is that? Why, why would that happen in a place where you think there was mo the most hope and the most help? I think sometimes maybe it's a misinterpretation of Scripture. I think sometimes it's that, you know, we, we hear and we believe Jesus suffered, so we have to suffer. I think sometimes that it's not an understanding of the issue of domestic violence, and that misunderstanding and misinterpretation of Scripture is actually enforced by an abusive partner and sometimes reinforced by the faith community in which we are. Uh, sometimes clergy that are, this is not taught in seminary, and yet domestic violence is the leading cause of injury to women in the United States. Every nine seconds a woman is assaulted. In Psalms we read, it's not my enemy who reviles me, then I could bear it. It's not my adversary who deals insolently with me because then I could hide. It is you, my equal, my constant companion with whom I have walked in God's house. And so it was 2,000 years ago, and ladies and gentlemen, so it is today. According to the FBI, every nine seconds a woman is assaulted. Now that is a mom and a daughter, a sister, a co-worker, a friend. Uh, this crime is most often perpetrated against women. However, there are men who are battered. There are men who are battered by women, men who are battered by same gender partners. The dynamics that I talk about today are the same. The violence that I talk about today is the same. But you men sitting in this room have to know two things. You have to know that because this impacts the women in your lives, it also impacts uh, your lives as well. But also, I want the men in this room to hear that you have an incredible opportunity to stop this. Everybody who sees me, I walk into court and they're rolling their eyes and saying, here she comes again. Everybody who sees me when I walk into my church like, oh no, we're going to be talking about that today. Yes, we're going to be talking about that today, right? Um, but when men stand up and say, 
not only do I not perpetrate violence in my home, I have zero tolerance if it's perpetrated in, in your home as well. In fact, Genesis has an auxiliary of over a, almost 400 men who have stood up and paid dues and had background checks, who have come forward to say, not in my home and not in my community. And with that message, they come down and mentor our boys one-on-one. -on -one. They cook dinner for women who have never had a man cook dinner for them. They are gentlemen who go to court and sit on the bride's side of the courtroom. And I got to tell you, we get guilties. We get uh, uh, protective orders that we never would have had if it was just me sitting there. So hear me say to the men in this room, you have an incredible opportunity to make a difference. Now, certainly with violence, with whatever gender we're talking about, and by the way, 95% of the time the woman is the victim, severity is usually much greater. But whenever we're talking about it, usually we think about uh, a, a victim and a perpetrator, but the true victims, in my opinion, are the hundreds of thousands of children in our communities around us who watch and listen as their uh, moms are abused and tortured in their own homes. For these kiddos, their nightmares begin long before they ever go to sleep. Our teenagers, we need to be talking about this in our UMYF uh, because our teenagers begin to design, not only are they at high risk because they may have be growing up in it, but they're also beginning to design their own relationships by what they have watched and with what they have learned. Um, because this monster, this monster of violence feeds in the dark behind closed doors, uh, it is often considered a private matter, that it is something that is shrouded in shame, that somehow the victim is at fault. Ladies and gentlemen, almost four million women are, uh, suffer in this country some kind of abuse. And even if we think, well, that's not me and that's not anybody I know, there are two other statistics you should know. 85% of all men in Texas prisons grew up in a violent home. Now, they're not there because they beat their wives, because unfortunately most men who beat their wives don't go to jail. They're there because they robbed your home. They're there because they stole your car or tried to sell drugs to your kiddos. Um, another, uh, uh, we, we have to realize that this impacts our, our lives in so many ways. So how is it that most of these victims never tell anybody? They don't tell a friend or a colleague or their pastor or their uh, head of women's ministry. They don't tell the police. They don't call a shelter. Why is that? Let's look at the parable today of the Good Samaritan. Let's look at the parable of the Good Samaritan and see if there, there aren't some ways that can help us understand this. You all know the story. Uh, there was a man injured. He was over by the side of the road. And uh, this particular day, uh, uh, the story tells us a priest, a Levite, uh, passed him by. On the, now, this guy, it was no mistake. He was hit. He was injured. He was by the side of the road. And they walked on by. Um, he had not they recognized he had not merely fallen off, a, off his donkey. He had been assaulted, basically. Uh, but here comes the Samaritan. And I don't know if you, you recognize this, but the Samaritan, someone from Samaria, was an outcast. It would be like a, a, a homeless person. or a, I, I don't even know who we would describe in our day and time. But he was sort of just the, he was uh, this outcast of the community. But he didn't, he didn't do what the priest did or the Levite did. He did what he could with what he had. You all know the story. He went over. He bound up the wounds. He took that person to the inn. He didn't try to fix it himself. He brought that person to an inn where the innkeeper could then take hold from that point on. So why did the priest, why did that Levite pass him by? Why did they ignore this person who was clearly in front of them um, in contradiction to the hospitality code of that day? Well, maybe they were afraid. 
Maybe they didn't know if the assailant was still in the neighborhood. Maybe they were afraid that maybe they would be assaulted too. Perhaps they weren't prepared. They didn't know what to do. They hadn't been taught in seminary about the issue of domestic violence. Perhaps they didn't know what resources were available. And so, golly, if I get involved in that, is that going to take all my time? I'm late for a meeting. i got to go. I, I, I don't know anything about it. We can make all these kinds of excuses. But don't you imagine there was just something going on there where they blamed the victim? Don't you imagine those, that priest and that Levite could have probably said, what was that guy doing riding his donkey in this neighborhood by himself this time of day? Um, isn't there something as if, as if it was his fault for being, being assaulted? I think the Good Samaritan, as I say, just, just responded without hesitation and did what he could with what he had. So maybe these are typical reactions that we might have to domestic violence. Are, are we afraid? Um, do we not know that there is a Genesis Women's Shelter and that there is a place where they can go for counseling, even if they don't need a residential place to stay? Are we prepared? Do we know the resources? Do we ever blame the victim? Why doesn't she just get out? Why doesn't she just get out? So next week, I'm actually uh, going to city council where our mayor, Eric Johnson, is going to proclaim October Domestic Violence Awareness Month. But for women and children who are living in domestic violence, um, every day, every, every month, every day is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and Day. Every day there is hyper-awareness with those children and with those moms watching the words and watching the moods and watching the looks, which they know are all precursors to that next inevitable assault. We're very fortunate, I think, in Dallas to have um, a police department with a specialized uh, investigative unit. We're lucky in Dallas County that we have specialized courts and a uh, uh, district attorney has a specialized prosecutorial unit that only handles vi uh, domestic violence cases. We have advocates in this community like Genesis Women's Shelter who for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, at no cost, no strings attached, with support like we get from Lovers Lane Methodist Church, we open our doors and answer our phones to victims. So this coordinated community response really is making a difference. But the studies show that only 4% of women who are assaulted will ever reach out to an advocate of any kind, only 4%. So what that means, ladies and gentlemen, here comes the call to action, because that means we have to stand together. We have to link arms, do what we can with what we have to get these victims to the inn uh, and the innkeeper. It's not enough to leave this on the steps of Genesis or City Hall or, or uh, the court system, we must be able to turn each to the other and say, I'm afraid for you. As members of a community, as members of a faith community, we all have to organize around this purpose. We have to be accountable. We have to be proactive. We have to be effective in protecting the most vulnerable. In the book of Luke, in chapter 13, there is a parable. Jesus talks about, uh, it says, Behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had been bent over by an infirmity. And on that day, the Lord called her unto him, and he laid his hands on him, and she was made straight. Now, uh, at that point, Jesus says, woman, thou art loosed from thy infirmity, and she was able to stand. Now, the story goes on from there, where everybody in the church kind of got all mixed up with regards to, I can't believe you did that in church. I can't believe you did that on the Sabbath. I can't believe that committee didn't know when this committee was in charge of that. You know how it works in the church? I've grown up in the church, so I'm telling you from experience. Um, but uh, uh, Jesus stopped them and called them hypocrites and said, ought not, ought not this daughter of Abraham, who has been bent over for 18 years, be loosed from her bonds and stand straight on this Sabbath day? 
Ladies and gentlemen, if it's not here, then where? If it's not us, then whom is it? If it is not on Sunday, then what is the point? I heard a great analogy the other day. Um, it, was, it, it said, it, this guy said, if we're in a boat together, if we're all in this boat together, which we are, we're all in this boat together, he said, if there's a hole in the boat, it doesn't matter that the hole is in a different part of the boat. It doesn't matter that it's not anywhere near me or anybody I think that this happens to or anybody who looks like me or worships where I worship. It doesn't matter if they live in another part of town um, or worship differently. We all have to roll up our sleeves and be a part of the solutions. In Matthew 13, 43, uh, Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seeds. And he, at the very end of the story, he says, and, and you will hear this in many places throughout the New Testament, he said, whoever has here." Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus repeats this in Matthew, and he repeats it in Mark, and he repeats it, repeats it in the book of Revelation. And basically what this means when he drops that, that saying in, he who has ears, let them hear, he's, all, he's saying, guys, listen up to this. This is important. Pay attention to this. And so then he tells about the sower of the word, sower of the seeds. And he said, you know, he didn't toss out those seeds in a place where he knew there was good soil. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't uh, toss them out just uh, one, t one Sunday a month in October, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. He didn't leave it to the women's ministries or the local shelter. He cast out those seeds, uh, hoping that that scattered word would connect. And maybe it did, and maybe it didn't right then, but maybe it did later. Uh, but we know that some did fall on good soil. And it says in the book, uh, it grew multiple times of what was sown. So what if today, what if today somebody comes to Lovers Lane United Methodist Church? Somebody comes today with the ears to hear about help for the violence in her home? What if she has ears to hear about grace and hope and abuse-free life and the resources to let her know that she isn't alone? What if she came and nobody was talking about it? We can, it's so easy for us to get so wrapped up in our own praise and our own worship and our own deal and what I'm wearing and where I'm going to lunch and on and on. And all those things are important. We love the music. This is why we come together to worship. But what if that's all it was? What if we're not saying that one out of every three women will be victims of violence by someone who says that he loves her, by someone who says it's her fault, and by someone who tries to tell the rest of us it's none of our business? What if we didn't tell her about Genesis Women's Shelter and support and what if after 18 years no one told her that she could stand up straight what if there has been a there what if her family has given up on the opportunity that she her seeds would ever take hold and grow um, what an incredible life-changing uh, opportunity we then missed as I mentioned, October is definitely um, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, but we cannot just talk about it in October. We have to say it again and again and again in, uh, that violence in our home is unacceptable. We, have to have we should have cards in every bathroom, men's and women's restrooms, that say, is someone you love hurting you? We need to say it from the pulpits. We need to say it in our Sunday school classes. We need to turn each to the other. Um, and say, I'm afraid for you. And if we do that, if, if, if we can stand up straight, if, if each of us commits to doing what we can with what they have, we need to support the local shelters. You need to let your voices and your votes be heard. Do you guys, do you guys ever call your elected officials? Do you know how your elected officials stand on the issue of violence against women? This is a crazy time for women, ladies and gentlemen. And no matter what your politics are, and this is usually when I get, you know, 
into deep water. But regardless of how you stand on immigration or uh, uh, the economy, you have to hear that we have been given a governmental se uh, seal of approval on how to treat women, how we talk about women. Why have we not reauthorized the Violence Against Women Act? Why have we not enforced the state and federal laws that remove guns from perpetrators so that they don't go into uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas First Baptist Church on a Sunday morning and kill 29 people? We are not immune from this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we have to be a part of this. If we will do these things, if we will let our voices and votes be heard, if we will raise our sons to be gentle men and our daughters to be uh, protect themselves physically, financially, and emotionally, uh, if we will do this, then we are committing to lighting a candle instead of just shouting at the darkness. We light a candle of education and we light a candle of empowerment, one of hope that informs those who are living in the darkness of domestic violence that they, that they do not have to live that way. You know, with this light, who, uh, these women who have told that there is no hope find that there is. Do not think, as I once did, that because of the color of my skin or where I go to church or where I live, my zip code, where I went to school, that any of us, any of us are immune from issues like alcoholism or incest or domestic violence. Because of the sheer numbers of people in this room, some of you know what I'm talking about. You were that little boy who tried to get dad off mom. You were that little girl who hid under the bed or in the closet. Um, you, we are not immune from this. You know, it seems like over the past couple of years, there have been so many uh, storms that hit our country, uh, we, uh, that have devastated our, our country. You look at the Gulf Coast, you look at Florida or the, the Carolinas, Puerto Rico, we lost a thousand American citizens. The Bahamas, and you remember Houston, Harvey and Houston, uh, not long ago. And we're always shocked by the destruction. Um, we, you know, are glued to the TV for about a week and we're, we are shocked with the uh, the injury and the deaths and children being separated from their parents and property lost and destroyed. And, and then we do what America always does. We roll up our sleeves and we send food and we send baby diapers and we send medical assistance and we have temporary shelters. Now, certainly this chaos and devastation, it does happen. Thank God it doesn't happen more than it does. But this type of destruction, ladies and gentlemen, happens every single day in our community, in our faith communities. Uh, this is the type of destruction I see every day uh, at Genesis in homes where there is violence. You know, during these times when we're watching these storms take place, I'm always struck by the similarities between the victims that we see on TV and the victims I see at Genesis. You know, we stand back and we look and we say, well, gosh, they, they knew that storm was coming. There had been weeks of drawings and so on, and uh, we knew they were coming. They read about it. They saw it on TV. They, they hear about it everywhere, and then they are, they're in disbelief that it possibly happened to them. Maybe it had happened before. Places like New Orleans, they get storms like that all the time. They had weathered storms before. They had survived. They can do it again. Maybe they board up their hearts. Maybe our victims close up what they can. Maybe they move to the emotional second floor of their home or maybe onto the roof as a last resort. And we hear people say, why didn't those storm victims get out? Why didn't they evacuate when they can? And I hear this echo in my head, why didn't that battered woman just leave? How, how is it she did not just get out? Because usually that's followed by, boy, if that were me, I would dot, 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 right? Why didn't she just get out? How high do the waters have to rise before you do get out? But you know what? Still you have hope. 
Still you have uh, hope in your heart that something that will change or somebody will come and help you. But then the storm turns or a levee breaks and there is one incident that uh, convinces victims that the, she and her children will not be safe and they must get out. That one incident, that flash flood, destroys the world as she has known it. Her belongings, her family, her self-esteem, her job, custody of her kids, her security, everything, everything is washed away in this flood of abuse. You see, domestic violence is pervasive, it is unforgivable, and it is sometimes deadly. And for these victims, there is no FEMA. There are no food drives. There are no uh, adopt-a-family. There is no, it's not covered on the news. In fact, nobody, nobody speaks about it. About 10 years ago, I was invited by Lover's Lane Methodist Church to speak to the junior high, uh, not junior high, I'm sorry, fourth graders. Um, the uh, director of Christian education called and said, We've got about 100 fourth graders. We'd like you to come and talk about Genesis. And I love doing that. I'll talk to churches or cops or anybody who will listen and a whole lot of people who don't really want to. But about three weeks out, the lay leader uh, uh, in that department at the time um, actually called me and she said, hey, the service starts at 10 and we have group time and we'll all be in room, whatever. And by the way, don't scare the kids. And I said, okay, I'll see you at 10. Then about a week later, she calls me back and she says, we've got a parking place for you. I'm like, wahoo, a parking place? If you would just cone off a place. In fact, I keep trying to talk at Highland Park Methodist where I go. If they would just do valet parking, I would come more often, right? Um, but talk to the usher. You've got a coned off place. It's marked with your name. And by the way, don't scare the kids. Well, there were two or three or four of these conversations that all ended with, by the way, don't scare the kiddos. And I'm slow on the uptake, but I finally said, are you afraid of what I'm going to say? Are you afraid? Because I, you know, I can... I can curse with the best of them, but I don't do it in Lover's Lane Methodist Church on a Sunday morning with a bunch of fourth graders. And she said, no, no, that's not it. She said, this is just a, 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 a prominent church, and we just don't have that in our, in our church. We don't have violence in our church. Well, I know better. I know personally, I know professionally better that you do. Um, and that Sunday morning came, and there were about 100, 100 little fourth graders in there, and I asked them what I love asking communities, why do you think your mother didn't leave? Why do you think a woman would stay in violence? And guess what? Those little 100 fourth graders who it, in whose church this does not happen came up with 27 reasons. Are you half as smart as those 10-year-olds? 27 reasons. Now, the question we should be asking instead of why does she stay is why did he do it? But the number one question I'm asked is why does she stay? So anyway, we're talking about it, and these little kiddos kept raising their hands. One little girl at the very end raised her hand and said, I want to ask you a question. If dad hurts mom and mom goes to Genesis, does the little girl get to go with mom or does she have to stay home with dad? Are we listening? Are we hearing from her mouth to God's ear? Are we paying attention? Do we think it doesn't happen in our own congregation? You know, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King once said that we in this generation must not only repent for the vitriolic words and deeds of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good. It is this very silence that is killing victims of domestic violence. When we speak and when we don't speak, we are heard loudly and clearly. My prayer is that Lovers Lane United Methodist Church will become a safe space, a horizon of hope that is so desperately needed uh, by those suffering in silence. We as a faith community must say loudly and clearly that we have zero, zero tolerance uh, and that violence in the home is never acceptable. He can do this and we can do this. Former President George Herbert Walker Bush once said that points of light are the soul of America. They are ordinary people who reach beyond themselves to the lives of those in need, bringing hope and help and opportunity, friendship and care. 
We can give care, ladies and gentlemen, and we can give hope, and it is with that very hope and the clarity of my passion that we must continue to help create a community, help create a faith community, help create a nation that realizes peace on earth begins at home. Thank you.